Let's have an added word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we can focus not just on the birth of Christ long ago, but on his rebirth in each one of our hearts here this morning. Help us to see the breath of heaven is available to each one of us to refresh us, yes, to revive us, yes, but also to convert our hearts and make us ready for your soon return. For Lord, we do miss you so much. We hope that you like the gift of our hearts. Guide us as we present it to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mary was ugly. Now, how would you feel if I started the sermon like that, like I just did now? I remember hearing those words as I was sitting in the congregation, and it sounded like I was sitting right next to the speaker because it just kept ringing in my ears. Mary was ugly, a desperate woman, one who needed to go to an older man to get a husband, and he, this guy just went on and on. It's kind of why we safeguard the pulpit sometimes. Uh, but here he went about this physical characteristics of Mary, and he went on down the line to almost demonize the woman to the point where it's almost like, yeah, why would I, why would I want to read about Jesus' mother Mary? And he just went down that line of thought. And I remember later, I was working at Milo Academy at the time, I remember somebody came up to me in the lunch line and said, hey, would you recommend that guy for a speaker at our church? And I said, no, I would not. He just totally bashed a person in the Bible who was a disciple of Jesus, not only his mother, but a disciple of Christ. And then I came across years later people who deitized Mary. So this guy demonized Mary. And I came across people who deitized Mary. It's almost like she could do no fault. Uh, the story out of the Bible was just picture perfect, and you know, and she never made any mistakes or sins and all of that. You never heard any of that, have you? I mean, there's a whole group of Christians who believe that. And I began thinking to myself, which one is it? Do I demonize her and just totally put her down and, and even link her to the, the, the beast of Revelation 13? Or do I deitize her, which is just the opposite? Which route do I go with this woman that's described in the Bible? A woman whom the angels appeared to. A woman who birthed our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do I demonize her, deitize her, or I think I'll go for this one, humanize her. Look at her experience. Look at what, how she served God faithfully and then apply that to my life. I think I'll go that route. Would you like to go that route? Or do you want me to demonize her or deitize her? Let's humanize her. I want to go to this story because I know in the birth of Jesus sermons I've done before in other places, and oftentimes I'll focus on the wise men or, or the birth of Jesus and how there was no room at the end. And, you know, there's a tip, but I'm going to focus on Mary herself. And maybe someday I'll focus on Joseph as well. Mary herself. Uh, some think this is around 6 B.C., 5 or 6 B.C., long ways from here, a lot of cultural norms that we don't always understand. But this story is timeless. goes across space and time to where we are at today and shows us a way that we can live our lives. And so, yes, we're going to go to the story of Mary seeing that angel, Mary receiving a mission from heaven, and she responded to it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And in the sixth month, this is referring to after Elizabeth conceived in her old age. The angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph 
of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, which means in the Greek, rebellion. Okay. So we can't really deitize her then if, if her very name means that. And later on we'll see that she herself knows that she needs a savior. But this area of Nazareth, I remember as a Christian being fascinated by getting pictures of the Holy Land. I haven't been there. But as I look at that area, there's all kinds of information regarding it. Nazareth is situated among southern ridges of Lebanon on the steep slope of a hill about 14 miles from the Sea of Galilee and about six miles west from Mount Tabor. So you can see a snow-capped hill there nearby, a big mountain. It's identified with the modern village in Nazareth of six or 10,000 inhabitants. Even now, it's not very big. But that's the area we're talking about here. It lies as in a hollow cup, lower down upon the hill than the ancient city. So the modern city is further down the hill. The ancient city was like a city on a hill. It literally was built upon a hill. It lies as in a hollow cup, lower down upon the hill than the ancient city. The main road for traffic between Egypt and the interior of Asia passed by Nazareth near the foot of Tabor. So a few miles away, you've got a main trade route. It's not itself located on the main road like your church is to I-5, but it's nearby. And then that road would go north to Damascus. That's Easton's Bible Dictionary. If you go to another commentator, he says the town lies just north of the plain of Estrilon in the limestone hills of the southern Lebanon range. It is situated on three sides by a hill. This location forms a sheltered valley with a moderate climate favorable to fruits and wildflowers. I remember when I thought about Nazareth, I didn't really know what to think, but as I'm reading these descriptions, it almost sounds familiar, doesn't it? Almost like some of the geography that we've seen. Trade routes and roads passed near Nazareth, but the village itself was not on any main road. And so here's a picture. You can see what it's talking about. The climate is conducive to farm. Can we darken this up here a little bit more? Is that okay? Can you? The front light. Because if you darken it, you can see the, the fields out here, the agrarian fields a little bit better. And so here's the, here in this picture here is the more modern city. And archaeologists believe that the, this, the ancient city was actually up here on the hillside in this upper ridge of the cup. And you can see the big mountain there in the background. Here's another picture of it being, going from the valley and being built up upon the hill. So it truly was a city on a hill, like Jesus referred to in his, one of his speeches. And there's a picture that you can see from another angle. You can see all these fields. Kind of reminds me of Nebraska, some of the patchwork, but not as big. And so here's the modern city, and the ancient city kind of went up along the hillside there. And so there's some pictures of Nazareth. This is the context of where this vision is given there. And so get a visual in your mind. Well, there she is. We're not exactly told where she's at, whether she's in the house or whether she's out there overlooking the fields. We're not sure. But in this ancient agrarian village, the angel comes, presents himself to this woman. We also know that Nazareth was a religious city. They had their own synagogue there, and they've reconstructed it over the years. But it looks something like that. That's one that was located there. And you notice the location, of course, geographically. Nazareth, about 100 miles, we believe, from Bethlehem and in an obscure small town, it seems like, in the hill country of Judea. But in that small town of small beginnings, and later on we find, uh, some people think it's of ill repute or insignificant reputation, 
That's where the promise is given. This promise goes and says, The angel came to her and said, Hail, one receiving grace. Notice that. You cannot deitize somebody who is receiving grace. For that means that they themselves have sinned and need grace from God. The Lord is with you. And he says, blessed. And it's another word for happy or well spoken of. Good words. Blessed or well spoken of are you among women. Who's speaking about this woman? I mean, maybe Joseph. Uh, but what we find in the plan of salvation, heaven is interested in this woman. Heaven is interested in her. So we can't demonize her then. Deitize or demonize. And when she saw him, she was troubled or upset at his saying, considered what kind of greeting this might be. What would happen if an angel appeared to you and said, heaven is thinking about you. You are well spoken of. I mean, just seeing an angel would probably send most of us down to our knees and just think, oh, well, yeah, I can't handle this. But then to have these greetings from heaven given to you, wouldn't it make you feel special? Wouldn't it make you feel like, why me? Why would heaven ever send someone to greet me like this? Make me feel unworthy. Kind of like when you go to the door and you say, good sermon, it's like, okay, try to do the best I could, but, you know, was it really me or was it God? And so she herself has a hard time receiving this and wonders what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not fear, Mary, for you have found favor. There's that word again, this idea of grace, kindness with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, meaning Yahweh is salvation. Let's go ahead and bring the lights back to normal so that way they can look in their Bibles in a few moments here. So these key things here, underlining, and maybe you'd underline something different and focus on something different, but I notice this word grace or favor keeps popping up in this text. I also notice the name Yeshua, or Jesus in the Greek, Yahweh is salvation. This child that's going to come upon her is not just any child. It's not even a prophet like John the Baptist in Elizabeth's case. It is the one who brings salvation. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. That's right out of Isaiah 9. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So Mitchell, there's your, there's your uh, memory verse you've been working on. This angel comes and points out that Jesus is the fulfillment of ancient prophecies, including Isaiah chapter 9. And this is the fulfillment that this child will be within your womb and the world will see him in less than a year. Isn't that amazing? That that promise could be given to a human being? That God could literally live amongst you, inside of you? And so the promised child will be born of a virgin who has received grace. She doesn't distribute grace. She receives grace. The child brings salvation. That's the one who distributes grace, is the child. And this child is none other than the promised ruler of ancient times, the desire of nations, the one whom the prophets foretold and the one whom they look forward to seeing. And they all wish that they could see him with their own eyes. Text goes on in verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How shall this be? I do not know him. I, I don't, I'm, I'm just engaged. I'm a virgin. An angel said to her, The Holy Spirit, or the Holy Wind, or the Holy Breath, 
shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. And that word is like a cloud that's blocking out the sun. Kind of reminds you of Sinai and those in the Exodus experience where you've got that cloud going along, following them around, overshadowing them. And the power of the highest shall overshadow you like a cloud. You, therefore, also the one which will be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And so this breath, this holy breath, this breath of heaven overshadowing her will bring about the birth of the Savior. And this breath of heaven overshadowing us in our lives will bring about the birth of Jesus, showing Jesus forth in our lives as well. Her experience, human as it is, will also be, by the time we're done here this morning, we will see it's also available to each one of us. This breath of heaven is an experience that we can all have. And she, does she accept it or reject it? She accepts it. So the breath of heaven comes upon one whose name means rebellion, comes upon one who is a receiver of grace, comes upon one whom God uses to reveal the Savior to the world. Could you see yourself in that story? You say, well, I'm not a woman, I'm just a guy. Okay, well, all right. Well, later on you'll see that it applies to men and women both because he pours out his spirit upon all flesh at the end of time. Could you see that you are one who is rebellious as far as the spiritual record of heaven is concerned, we have all sinned. Could you see yourself as one who needs grace? Yes. Could you see yourself as one who you want to reveal the Savior to the world? So we will see as we connect the dots that this also applies to us. So it would be unreal, wouldn't it, to have an angel come and give you that promise? And it's almost like the angel senses a hesitancy there. He says, fear not. And now he points to another example. She's like, how could I have a child when I'm not even pregnant? And the angel doesn't just leave her hanging there and say, well, it's going to be some really mystical experience and the likes of which no one's ever had before. He actually points to Elizabeth. In verse 36, behold, your cousin Elizabeth, also or even, she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. That's why the beginning of the chapter says it was the sixth month. It's the sixth month of a miracle that's already taken place. And it's the sixth month and showing her that another miracle is going to take place in you. And so just as that miracle took place in Elizabeth, another miracle will take place in you. Just, and that Elizabeth miracle points us back to other miracles, does it not? Doesn't it point us to Abraham and Sarah? Doesn't it point us to others who were barren and had children? And if God could open up their wombs in ancient times, and even Elizabeth just six months ago, then surely he can do a miracle for you. That's what the angel is saying. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Don't you like that? Heaven coming to you and saying, whatever your problem is, nothing shall be impossible. Just trust him. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary said, behold, look. Someone's like, here I am. <laughs> Let it be, amen, let it be, to me according to your word. And the angel left her. So she accepts this mission, this mission that can in essence even tarnish her reputation, even cause people to look down upon her, and even place her in a position where she 
would have to face the prospect of death if Joseph does not extend mercy to her. For after all, if you're betrothed and you have somebody who's pledged to you and they end up pregnant, then you have to start asking questions. But thankfully, heaven doesn't leave this situation alone. Actually interacts with Joseph and he accepts her. So she faces death for this mission. And so the angel has come, delivered that to her. She has said, here I am, look at me, I'm not much. <laughs> Doesn't say she's ugly though, okay. I'm accepting your mission. May let it be so. So she makes a journey after that. Verse 39, Mary rose in those days, went into the hill country with haste. Think about it. Why would she be rushing over to see Elizabeth? Well, the angels just told her six months ago, she conceived, she's got a baby. I don't know if the message already got to her before that, but if not, then heaven just delivered an email to her and said, your, your cousin's pregnant. So she goes up there knowing that soon the baby will be delivered to the city of Judah. And we're not sure exactly what that is. Most people believe it's Hebron because it was a city that was designated for the priests. And we find Elizabeth and her husband would have been in that direction a priestly city of some kind in the hill country. And so she heads over there, about, uh, it's really 100 miles from, Na from Nazareth, 20 miles from Bethlehem, and she finds Zacharias, the house of Zacharias, greets Elizabeth, the baby, of course, leaps within Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth greets her. Almost a very similar greeting to what the angel greeted her. Then Mary launches into this speech. I'm not sure if she's carried off into vision or who knows what, but she just launches into this praise to God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Why would you say my Savior if you don't need a Savior? She recognizes God is her Savior. For he looked on the humiliation of a slave woman or his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations shall count me blessed, happy, fortunate. Not because of her, but because heaven gave her this mission to accomplish, and she agreed to it. All generations will call her blessed. Does that include you and me? Isn't she a blessed woman to have borne the Savior of the world in her body? Now, you don't have to go recite a prayer 30 times to say that, but she has been blessed. None of us have ever had that privilege of physically speaking, having the Savior born through us. None of us ever will, physically speaking. And so in that way, she is blessed. She had an opportunity that we never have. Fortunate. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. All generations takes us down to us, and from generation to generation takes us down to us. We all need mercy. She speaks of us in this prayer, in this praise. He has worked power with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And how long did Mary stay there? Three months. So she got there in the sixth month. It's about six months when the angel came to her. She hurries up and gets up to that hill country. And she stays there for three months. So was the baby born before she left? 
Was John born before she left? All right. Her baby, of course, is not. And then returned to her own house. So she stays until the ninth month, probably to help with the delivery. Who knows? She's there to support. She sees the miracle take place of a barren womb bringing forth John the Baptist. And then she goes back to her own house. Imagine that journey back, pondering that miracle. And each day bringing you closer to your own miracle. It's quite a story. And so the breath of heaven comes upon one whose name means rebellion, comes upon one who's a receiver of grace. God uses that process to reveal the Savior to the world. And the result is that she praises God, not herself. All glory goes to God. I would say she's a a godly woman whom we would do well to consider a story similar to that happening to us where we would give all praise to God as well. Michael 5.2 describes eventually the time would come where she would find her way in Bethlehem. Out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. The angel has told her that's the one that you were carrying. She eventually will make her journey there from Nazareth past Jerusalem. That's quite a journey, isn't it? Most believe it's around 100 miles. All the way down there. Makes that journey where familiar texts come into mind. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. Quite a familiar story to us. But there this woman is, living out that story, bringing into our attention the Savior of the world, the best present that heaven can give. There's no gift receipts available. You can't, turn it, you can't return it. You can reject it, but it's there. And it's almost like that little tag that that girl wrote to her father. I hope you like it. I miss you so much. It's like heaven comes to each one of us and says, is it enough? Is this gift enough? Could I give you any more? Of course, the answer is no. God gave us everything. And so the breath of heaven comes upon one whose name means rebellion, who receives grace, who reveals the Savior of the world. That results in praise to God, but there's more to the story because we all know that there were shepherds in the field, the ones who, who heard the angels' song. We all know that there's those statements about the wise men following, and we don't know if it was three or not, but there was three gifts. The star that came out of Jacob, and they found the Savior. They went on a journey as well to find the baby. And so we know the story. But that baby becomes a man, a man who changes world's history so that we are even sitting here today. And what was his mission? It's almost very similar to that mission statement sitting over there. What was his mission? All right, young people, here's your scripture. We'll let the scripture answer us. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. All right, young people, here's your answer for one of your questions. Looking at Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, oil for their mourning, garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may call, be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he 
may be glorified. So Jesus comes in the same humble type mission with the Spirit being poured out upon him. And there he is in human flesh. And his mission, as this text says here, is to change lives. Lives that begin to glorify God and praise God. Do you guys have that written down, Isaiah 61? Okay. And so the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. What would, what would be good news to a poor person? Let's look over here on this mission statement. That they are of eternal value to Jesus. They may not look it, but in God's eyes, every single human being is of eternal value to God. They're not poor. They're just individuals who've come by the ambassador's office right here and have asked for help in a transition in their journey, possibly. But they are not poor. They are actually seen in heaven's eyes as people who maybe need some encouragement and need to see a greater vision of how much heaven values them. And the first step in that is to show them how much we value them. And yes, we've had incidents here, but we cannot harden our hearts to the fact that the mission of Christ was to let the people know who were considered poor that they had so much value to God. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You ever been wounded spiritually? God says, I can heal it. That's what Jesus says. Things may not be good right now, but they will be better and be perfect in the future. And he can guide you right now and console you and help heal the process right now. They proclaim liberty to the captives. Imagine that, someone who feels and knows that they are stuck in a spiritual cell that Satan has created for them. And maybe they've helped craft themselves. And Jesus says, I've come to let you free, go free. Now it's their choice where they want to step out of that stronghold once the Lord opens the door. But he says, I've come here to open up doors, open the prison to those who are bound, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Look at this mission statement. I mean, look at this. This is saying that each one of us is of eternal value and we need to be prepared for his soon return. Isn't that the acceptable year of the Lord? Isn't it upon us? How many more years do you want me to proclaim this thing? How many more funerals do I have to do before I say, you know what, Lord, I've had enough of this? How many more people do we have to see abused and mistreated in this world before we say, enough of this? Let's all unite and take this hopeful message to those around us. And to comfort those who mourn. Some of you this time of year will be experiencing that. Maybe loved ones who are not on the journey with you this year. And God's saying, I'm with you still on the journey. I can provide some comfort through your church family, through friends, but if they're not there, I'm there. You're never alone. You never walk alone. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus himself quotes these in that little synagogue later on. And so we find he not only speaks, but he acts. He heals those who need it. He forgives those and draws a line of forgiveness there in the ground. We find that he raises the dead, yes. He himself then dies, showing us the path, the true gift and so there we find us going to the cross, each one of us. From the birth, he eventually acknowledged his mission, and he sees himself going step by step to his death so that we would not have to die. And during that ministry, he says some things that make us all realize 
that the experience of Mary is actually our experience spiritually. We cannot physically birth Jesus. That's already been done. But spiritually, Jesus says some things that make us realize that really Mary's story is our story. John 14, yet a little while and the world does not see me anymore, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. So he didn't stay dead. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Spiritually speaking, we're all pregnant. Men or women? Is Jesus in you? And it depends on what kind of pregnancy you want. You can, according to the book of James, have a good one or a bad one, of evil or good. But we all choose, as to spiritually speaking, what kind of power we want in our lives. And I want this power. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I live, yet no longer I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I have to choose to believe in the birth to accept the death, burial, and resurrection. And I choose to believe in it all. And since I choose to believe in it all, he then says, if you choose to believe in it, then, then accept my invitation and I will come into you. I will do all the changing that you need. The self-help books and everything else that's well-meaning will not be of as much help as this individual coming into us. And so we need to receive the breath of heaven. It comes upon one who recognizes they are rebellious. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. Comes on one who is a receiver of grace. Doesn't Ephesians say we can receive the gift by, because of his grace? The Savior then becomes the ruler of our world. Each one of us, your world, mine. And then what's the result? A life of praise to God, just like Mary's story. Ephesians 2.10 says that God will make you a new creation. And so I believe the breath of heaven is for each one of us. Do you want the breath of heaven to live in your heart? I mean, you want the Holy Spirit to come upon you like that? Don't look off to some distant future for the latter rain. Look for it through prayer now. The result is in John 20, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as my Father has sent me, so I send you. What's the result of being breathed upon by heaven, by the Holy Spirit being poured out? He's going to send you. That's the empowerment. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the holy breath, the Holy Spirit. The same exact wording that we find with Mary's experience. This Holy Spirit will come upon us. And behold, I send the promise of my Father on you. So it's coming from heaven, this breath. But sit in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Same type of thing of being overshadowed. Acts, we read about this. The Spirit will come upon you. And it's pretty interesting, isn't it? That you find at the beginning of creation of the world, you've got the Holy Spirit there hovering upon the waters before the world's created, before mankind comes. The Holy Spirit's there. Then you go on down through the Exodus experience, you've got this cloud following them all around. It's, later on it says Jesus followed them all around, the Corinthians. And then you get down to the birth of Jesus and you've got this woman who is overshadowed like a cloud coming upon her and it's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Then you get over here to, to Jesus' baptism, and you have, what do you have? The Holy Spirit coming down upon him. And then you get over here to here, and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And when he's taken up into the cloud, there is that cloud again, sooner after that, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. 
Spiritual rain comes down upon them, overshadows them. I think that's what we want today, is to not only accept Christ as a baby born in Bethlehem and a man who died for our sins, but one who's risen and offers power for our lives today. That's a gift that keeps on giving. And then they were taken, he was taken out of their sight, and while they were looking intently to heaven, the angels come. Hey, angels there again, right? Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the way you have seen him going into heaven. Same parallels of the story of Mary. There's first and second advent, you've got the angels appearing, the overshadowing, the cloud, the Holy Spirit coming, Christ being revealed, and then what happens? They worship. They truly worship God. And so, recap then. Breath of heaven comes upon thus, us, each one of us. We want to experience that, Christ in us. We want to be witnesses, Christ through us. We want to be ready when he comes so that Christ is revealed to us right there in front of our eyes. We want to fulfill this mission of God in our area. So now I ask the question again. Do we want, do you and I want the breath of heaven in our hearts today? used to be a song years ago. I remember I had my Walkman. Back then it was cassette tapes. And I'd walk around, and this time of year in December, right when December came, as a non-Christian, I would take out all my Christmas tapes, and I would put two or three in my newspaper bag. I had a newspaper job and some other odd jobs. I would deliver newspapers for 100 bucks a month, and I would do other things. And I remember taking cassette tapes and sometimes I would fast forward through Silent Night and some other songs like that, but there would always be a song or two that would catch my attention. One of them was, I wish every day could be like Christmas. Wish every day could be full of peace and harmony. I wish every day could be like Christmas. Isn't this what he's offering us? Every day we can have and open up this gift that's been given for us. I remember sensing that there was something more to that song, that there was actually the possibility somewhere. If somebody uttered the words, surely there's the possibility then that every day could be like Christmas. But it wasn't until years later that I accepted this story as more than a fable and accepted the fact that Jesus really died for me, that I truly began to understand Christmas with its true meaning. Not with the Christmas part, but Christ. Christ himself. It's all about him. And so I open my heart to him again today. I say, God, I want that. Come, Jesus. Come into my heart. Be my Emmanuel. Live within me so others can see you. If that's your desire, we have a simple hymn we're going to sing to close the service off. It's called, Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I want to use it as words to God as a prayer. If you'd like to sing it, want more air in your lungs, feel free to stand. Let's sing this song to God that we want Jesus in each one of our lives today. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive
Father in heaven, we pray that you will fill the whole world with heaven's peace and do it one person at a time. Guide each one of us here to accept that peace into our lives so that then we can share it with the world around us. Breath of heaven come upon us and the Holy Spirit upon us, Jesus, each one of us, so that we can show the world you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>